This is More Christianity, exploring the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church with Father Dwight Longenecker, former Anglican priest, now Catholic author, blogger, and speaker. And now, from the WCKI studios in upstate South Carolina, Father Dwight Longenecker. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. In this weekly program, we explore together the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today, I welcome you to a special Christmas edition. We're going to talk about Christmas, pagan Romans, and Frodo Baggins. How do they all go together? Well, stay tuned and learn just how they do. Before we continue with the program, I'd like to share with you one of the books I've written. Catholicism Pure and Simple is just that. It introduces people to the Catholic faith using simple language and goes step-by-step through the reason Jesus Christ came into the world, the Holy Spirit, the foundation of the church, the sacraments, the life of prayer, and the, and the life of being a Catholic. I wrote Catholicism Pure and Simple in order to share the Catholic faith with people who need to be evangelized. I've also used it for 8th grade confirmation and RCIA. Connect with Catholicism Pure and Simple. You can find it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, back to more Christianity. Christmas, Pagan Romans, and Frodo Baggins. Here's how it goes together. You see, a lot of people like to criticize Christianity by saying, oh, Christianity, that's just old, the old pagan religion warmed up. They say it's just paganism, which has been reshaped and dressed up a little bit, and the old pagan religions are just uh, reconstituted within, the, within Christianity, especially within Catholicism. And this particular criticism, curiously enough, comes to us not only from Protestants who like to criticize Catholicism, but also from the new atheists who like to criticize Christianity, generally speaking. And one of the criticisms they have, therefore, is they say, for instance, look, in Egypt, in Babylon, in the ancient Incas or wherever, you find these same religious themes of human sacrifice. Uh, You find the god of light and the god of darkness struggling against each other. You find a virgin birth. You find a redeemer king. You find all these things within paganism. Christianity just took those and dressed them up and, and said that Jesus is the son God. Jesus is the son of the virgin. Jesus is the redeemer king. Uh, don't you realize this is just paganism warmed up again? Well, that seems plausible. And sometimes we look at that and say, well, maybe it's true. Catholicism is just paganism all dressed up again in, in new clothes. Let's look at it more closely. One of their favorite examples is the celebration of Christmas. Now, these people who we might call theological scrooges, they like to come through and say that Christmas, as well as things like mistletoe and gift-giving and Christmas trees and all of these things are just pagan customs. Don't you see, they say, the Romans had an ancient feast called the Saturnalia. From December 17th to the 23rd, the Romans partied with feasting and foolishness of all sorts. But then, around 315, the Emperor Constantine converted to the Christian faith— And so they simply carried over with with the Saturnalia, and they knew it would be unpopular to get rid of such a wonderful celebration in the middle of December, and so they made it the Christmas celebration instead. It sounds like a good solution. However, like any good murder mystery, the obvious answer is rarely the right one. You see, the first objection to the idea that Christmas is simply an adopted pagan festival is the simple fact that the early Christians were adamantly opposed to paganism. If you read the accounts of early Christendom, one of the reasons they were persecuted, one of the reasons they were thrown to the lions, one of the reasons they had all their goods taken away from them and they were thrown into prison was because they steadfastly refused to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. Those early Christians in Rome, the authorities went to them and said, look, 
all you have to do is take two or three little grains of incense and, and offer it to the pagan god, to the emperor god, and we'll let you go free. You don't have to die. You know, it's just a little offering. But they refused to compromise and make any offering at all to the pagan gods. So we're supposed to believe that, well, maybe around the year 320 or something, the Christians sort of said, oh, well, forget about all those martyrdoms, forget about all that persecution. I guess it's okay to be pagan anyway. And they suddenly adapted the pagan holidays and the pagan gods and decided they were going to start using those holidays for their own? I don't think so. The second objection to the idea that Christianity is just paganism dressed up is the problem that people make when they think that similarities demand causation. What do I mean by that? Well, it's very easy to see that two things happen together at the same time or happen together in the same culture and to believe that one influences the other. So very often people will say things like, you know, people who finish college tend to get better jobs, therefore everybody who finishes college will get a better job. Well, maybe, maybe not. People who do finish college do get better jobs, but maybe that's because they're smarter and they're hardworking. So just because they went to college doesn't necessarily mean that they will get the best job because there are other people who get good jobs who don't go to college. So what I'm digging at here is the idea that similarities demand causation. In other words, if two things are alike or happen at the same time or happen in the same place, that therefore one causes the other. No, it could simply be that they happened at the same time in the same place. Let me give you an example. Primitive people may have worshipped the sun in Mexico and the Middle East, in Egypt, in Asia, in Norway, in New Zealand. It doesn't all mean that the ancient religions influenced each other. It might just be that human beings everywhere have a natural inclination to worship the sun. Just because the Romans had a midwinter festival honoring Saturn does not demand that the Christians copied it, even if the similarities between the two feasts sometimes suggest it. But then let's look at the similarities. People say, oh, the Christians uh, followed on with uh, the Saturnalia and simply adopted the Roman pagan festival to be Christmas because it both happened in the middle of December. But the similarities aren't really very similar. When you actually look at the similarities, they don't really connect. Well, okay, some things do. At the Saturnalia, the Romans had a feast. Okay, Christians had a feast too. The Romans gave each other gifts as part of the celebration. Well, there's a match. Christians gave gifts too. But there were other things the Romans did which the Christians never did. History shows us that at the Saturnalia, they wore silly hats, they got drunk, they went dancing in the streets, they propped up the statue of Saturn on a couch to observe all the revelries, they did crazy things like reversing the roles of slaves and masters, they put green drapes around their doorways, but we don't do any of that stuff as part of Christmas, and it was never really part of the Christian Christmas celebration. Furthermore, the dates for the Saturnalia were December 17th to the 23rd. The Christians celebrated Christmas on the 25th of December. You would have thought if they were going to match it up and adopt the pagan Saturnalia, then Christmas would be celebrated from December 17th to the 23rd. Well, the most glaring difference is the meaning of the celebration itself. If there was some sort of a link between the birth of Christ and the Saturnalia, then you would think that the Saturnalia would have similar themes like the coming of light in the dark time of the year or the birth of new life in the midst of the cold and the dark. But the Roman Saturnalia has none of those themes. Instead, the Saturnalia is more of a, a feast about the crops dying and, and making sacrifices to the pagan gods to make sure they have a prosperous year. There's nothing here about the Son of God being born of a virgin. There's nothing about the Redeemer of the world coming in on the scene. There's nothing about the light of the world being born into the dark time of the year. The Saturnalia really celebrates something different. However, it's a little bit more complicated than that. 
some scholars go back and say, well, maybe it wasn't the Saturnalia which was celebrated. Maybe there was a different pagan feast. And sure enough, we do find there was a pagan feast celebrated on December 25th. It was the feast of Dies Natalis Sol Invictus, which is the birthday of the Roman sun god Sol. Ha! Maybe that was the pagan feast that the Christians adopted. Stay tuned. We're going to come back and answer that question in the second half of the program on this special Christmas edition of More Christianity. I want to take a moment and tell you about one of the books I've written. The Quest for the Creed is 20 short chapters on the Apostles' Creed. It's a Chestertonian romp through the Apostles' Creed, admitting that some of the style is a bit sort of like G.K. Chesterton. There's lots of wordplay, lots of fresh ideas, lots of new ways of looking at the Christian truths. The Quest for the Creed is on Amazon, in good bookshops, and also through my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Why not connect with Father Longenecker every day through his popular blog, Standing on My Head? Why the weird title? Because G.K. Chesterton said, a scene is most often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. In Standing on My Head, Father Longenecker writes on current issues, blogs about the faith, and entertains with his wacky alter egos, inspiring us to stand firm in our Catholic faith, a faith which stands the world on its head. Do you want simple advice on the practice of your Catholic faith? Why not subscribe to Father Longenecker's free weekly newsletter, Faith Works, with articles on prayer, forgiveness, relationships, and spirituality. Faith Works comes directly to your email inbox. You can subscribe by visiting Father Longenecker's popular blog, Standing on My Head. Just Google search Father Longenecker to visit the blog and look for the sign up form. More Christianity is also the name of one of Father Longenecker's most popular books, based on the idea that the Catholic faith is more than, not something different from, Protestant evangelicalism. Father Longenecker shows how Catholicism completes and fulfills other expressions of the Christian faith, perfect for evangelical Christians who want to understand the Catholic faith better. More Christianity is available through Father Longenecker's website, DwightLongenecker.com. Before we continue with the program, I'd like to share with you one of the books I've written. Catholicism Pure and Simple is just that. It introduces people to the Catholic faith using simple language and goes step by step through the reason Jesus Christ came into the world, the Holy Spirit, the foundation of the church, the sacraments, the life of prayer, and the, and the life of being a Catholic. I wrote Catholicism Pure and Simple in order to share the Catholic faith with people who need to be evangelized. I've also used it for 8th grade confirmation and RCIA Connect with Catholicism Pure and Simple. You can find it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, back to more Christianity. Welcome back to this special Christmas edition of More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and the title of our show today is Christmas, Pagan Romans, and Frodo Baggins. Every year at this time, various television stations like to put out programs about the real Christmas or the true story of Bethlehem or what is Jesus really born at Christmas time, in which they usually debunk the Christian dates and the Christian version and try to show how Christianity is connected with paganism, especially how Christmas is connected with paganism. 
It's true that there are some pagan elements within our Christmas celebrations, things like the Advent wreath and mistletoe and Christmas trees, but these have usually come into the Christmas celebrations much later from Northern European paganism rather than the paganism of the ancient world in the Middle East. So they'll come through, for instance, and they'll say, look, you've got this Blessed Virgin Mary. She's the Queen of Heaven. She's the Mother Goddess. She's the Virgin Mother. Don't you understand that the pagan religions, they had the Queen of Heaven. They had Virgin Mothers. They had the Mother Goddess. And your Virgin, Blessed Virgin Mary is just a pagan implant into Christianity. Mary of Nazareth was just an ordinary Jewish girl, if, if she existed at all, say, say the atheists. And you Catholics have turned her into some sort of pagan goddess. Well, again, we have to look at what the pagan religions actually consisted of. They did, of course, have goddesses. They did have mother gods. Uh, They did have queens of heaven. But what were those queens of heaven and those mother goddesses like? In fact, they weren't anything like the Blessed Virgin Mary. If you take Kali, the Hindu goddess of destruction, she's a horrible creature with black skin and a red tongue sticking out and a a necklace of skulls. She's the goddess of destruction, the goddess of death. Uh, She's most likely to consume you and eat you up for dinner. She's a horrible sort of creature. Very often the queens of heaven were not virgin queens. They were promiscuous uh, goddesses who were cavorting around with all the different gods of heaven, and they were having children with human beings and all sorts of strange things. They were nothing like the Blessed Virgin Mary, nothing like the character that we call the Queen of Heaven or the Mother of God. Other similarities are uh, the god Horus in Egypt. They say the Egyptians had a son of God who was born of a virgin, uh, and he also rose from the dead and went out into the wilderness to defeat Satan. This is just the same story of Jesus. The same myth of Horus is warmed up and, and represented in the New Testament. Can't you people see the similarities? But then when you look closely, the similarities aren't similar at all. In fact, Horus wasn't actually born of a virgin. His mother had relations with another god of which he was the product. He went out into the wilderness, but he didn't defeat the devil there. In fact, he was defeated by the Egyptian equivalent of the devil. The similarities between Horus and Jesus, they say, also continue in that Horus was raised from the dead. No, he wasn't raised from the dead. It was his death which allowed the river Nile to rise every year so that the crops could be watered. The so-called similarities are a bit of a stretch because they're not really very similar at all. Instead, what we do find between paganism and Christianity are certain themes which recur over and over again. These themes are simply the themes of human religiosity, themes of birth and death, themes of salvation and redemption, themes of self-sacrifice, themes of light and dark. All of these things are commonplace as religious symbols, so of course they're going to crop up in different religions. But when you look at the similarities between paganism and Christianity, they just aren't really that strong. In the first part of the program, we talked about the popular idea that Christmas is simply a pagan festival that's been taken over and baptized by the Christians. It's really just the old Roman Saturnalia, uh, which was celebrated from 17th of December to the 23rd of December with great celebrations and riotous living and so forth. However, there are problems with that because there are not very many similarities between the two festivals. And also, just because two things happen at the same time don't necessarily mean that they're connected or that they're caused. The most damning argument against that is that the early Christians were so against the pagan religions, it seems silly to suggest that they would have intentionally adopted some of the pagan festivals. Well, scholars go on a bit further, and they then suggested that it was not the Saturnalia, 
but it was the feast of the birth of Sol Invictus, the Roman sun god, and that was celebrated on December 25th. But the problem with this is that this particular Roman feast, the celebration of the birthday of Sol Invictus, the birthday of the sun god, is actually quite late. It wasn't until the year 278 AD, well after Christianity began to be spread all over the Roman Empire, that the emperor Aurelian began to promote this cult of Sol Invictus, or the sun god, the victorious sun god. And there's no evidence that the birth of Sol Invictus as a celebration on December 25th was around at all in the, in the early days. In fact, the first record we have out of it is 360 AD, and that's well after the date of Emperor Constantine's conversion in 315, and Interestingly enough, it was during the reign of the emperor Julian the Apostate. Julian the Apostate was an emperor who deliberately tried to get rid of Christianity and go back to the ancient pagan ways. Therefore, it's most likely that instead of Christmas being an adoption of the Sol Invictus birthday, that it's the other way around. That Sol Invictus was a celebration established by the pagan Romans to try to stem the growing tide of Christianity with its popular celebration of Christmas. So, If it wasn't actually an adaption of the pagan festivals, where did the date of Christmas originate? Well, some Bible scholars try to find the evidence in the Bible itself and say, well, when the shepherds were out in the fields keeping the watch over their flock by night, was that actually in December? Can we figure out what time of the year that might have been? Well, I don't think so. Instead, we find the evidence locked in the documents of early Christianity. Around 386... St. John Chrysostom preached a sermon which linked the date for Christmas to the date of the Annunciation. He does so in a way that suggests that this was already an established belief. Now, the date of the Annunciation was based on a Jewish tradition that the world was created on March 25th. Therefore, the idea that the angel Gabriel came to the Blessed Virgin Mary happened on a symbolic date, March 25th, which was also the Jewish date for the beginning of the world. You can see how the Christians thought the Annunciation was the beginning of the new world. Jesus was the new Adam. He came into the world on the beginning of this new creation. Therefore, March 25th is the date for the Annunciation. In the Middle Ages, March 25th was celebrated as Lady Day. It was considered to be the date of the Annunciation, so March 25th was called Lady Day for Our Lady. Now, The Jews also believed that a great man would die on the same day as his conception. And the date for Jesus' death was near Nissan 15. Now, Nissan 15 is not a a form of Japanese car. Nissan is a Jewish month in the Jewish calendar. And when you transposed Nissan 15 to the Roman calendar, you come up with March 25th. Thus, the day of the world's creation, the day of the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary, is also, therefore, the date of our Lord's death and also a sign of the beginning of the new creation. It's all starting to come together. The beginning of the world, according to Jewish tradition, March 25th. The date for the Annunciation, March 25th. The date of our Lord's death on the cross, March 25th. So, if our Lord Jesus Christ was conceived on March 25th, you just count forward nine months to, hey, December 25th. So the date for Christmas is therefore determined by the date of the Annunciation and has nothing at all to do with the Roman celebration of Saturnalia or the Roman celebration of the birthday of Sol Invictus, the victorious sun god. So Christmas Day is connected with Lady Day, the birth of our Lord connected with the Annunciation 
of our Lord, the conception of our Lord in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. What evidence do we have for this? Well, around 200, Tertullian in Carthage, North Africa, reported that the calculation that the 15th day of Nisan, or thereabouts, uh, is the year that Je- in the year that Jesus died, was equivalent to March 25th in, Re- in the Roman calendar, as I've said. And of course, March 25th links you up to December 25th for the day of Jesus' birth. This idea also comes up in an anonymous Christian writing, which is called On Solstices and Equinoxes, which appears in 4th century North Africa. And this particular document says, Therefore, our Lord was conceived on the eighth day of the calendar of April in the month of March, March 25th, which is the day of the Passion of the Lord and also his conception. On the day that he was conceived, on that same day he suffered and died. And so, these particular documents from the ancient world are beginning to show that the early Christians connected these dates together. How about St. Augustine of Hippo, also North Africa? He was familiar with the association of the two dates, too. In his document on the Trinity, he writes, For Jesus is believed to have been conceived on the 25th of March, upon which day also he suffered and died. So the womb of the Virgin in which he was conceived, where no one of mortals was begotten, corresponds to the new grave in which he was buried, wherein no man ever laid, neither before him nor since. But he was born, according to tradition, therefore, upon December 25th. Now, we have documentation also from the eastern part of of Christianity and Eastern Orthodoxy. They say that Jesus' conception and death were also linked, and they also work from the calendar, the Hebrew calendar, to the Roman calendar, and they come up with a date for January 6th. January 6th, of course, is the Epiphany, and also the date in which the Eastern Orthodox still celebrate Christmas. What do we know about all of this? Well, it's difficult to actually pin down and say that our Lord's birthday is actually on December 25th, but we can actually understand, however, why that date was chosen. And we can understand that it was chosen because of the understanding, the symbolical understanding of the significance of the date of his death, the significance of the date of his conception, and therefore December 25th was chosen as the date for his birth. While we can't say absolutely Jesus was born on December 25th, we can actually clearly say that date was not chosen because of its connections with the pagan world. Now, the medieval name for the Feast of the Annunciation, as I said, was called Lady Day. It's interesting also that throughout the Middle Ages, New Year's Day was considered to be March 25th. New Year's Day was not January 1st. That was considered to be a leftover from paganism. And even in the Middle Ages, the Christian church, the Catholic church, was fighting against the vestiges of paganism in the culture. And so they said, no, New Year's Day is not January 1st, which is named after the Roman god Janus. Instead, New Year's Day, the day when everything begins afresh, is March 25th, right there near the first day of spring, which is Lady Day, the Feast of the Annunciation, when our Lord was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so, the date for Christmas, based not in any Roman pagan holidays, but in the ancient Jewish tradition and also in the ancient Christian tradition, that our Lord was actually conceived on March 25th. Now, what about Frodo Baggins? Okay, well, Tolkien fans the world over, did you know this? They celebrate March 25th as a special reading day for Tolkien. They gather together in their, in their clubs and they dress as hobbits and wizards and so forth, and they read segments from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit to celebrate Tolkien's famous work. Now, why do they meet on March 25th? Because Tolkien who was a daily mass Catholic and a very devout Christian, 
actually built into a, into his wonderful story a calendar of the events of the redemption of Middle Earth. For anybody who knows the story, Frodo Baggins has to bear the ring and take it back to the fires of Mount Doom uh, in Mordor, where he has to destroy the evil ring of power and therefore save Middle Earth. What day does he actually end up throwing the ring into the fires of Mount Doom? You guessed it. In Tolkien's calendar, it was March 25th, Lady Day, the Feast of the Annunciation, and the beginning of the world's redemption. And now I just want to wind up this special Christmas edition of More Christianity with a word of thanks. Thank you to everybody at WCKI Catholic Radio in upstate South Carolina, Michael Brennan and the rest of the staff for helping to make this program a reality. Also, Al Cresta and all the people at Alve Maria Radio Network for getting the program out to stations around the country. Thanks to my wife, Allison, and my children, uh, and my other friends and family who've supported me in my apostolate of evangelizing and bringing the good news to so many people. Those who help with my newsletter, Faith Works, which goes out by email, my blog, Standing on My Head, my publishers who publish my book and help me to market them and get them out to people. Also, thanks to the people of Our Lady of the Rosary Parish in Greenville, South Carolina, who support my work and help me to get the good news out of the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. It only remains for me to say uh, thank you to you, my listeners. I hope as we go into the new year and the first full year of More Christianity, this weekly program, that you will listen faithfully, tell others about this station, about this news, and about this program, and also that you will not forget to have a wonderful, blessed time and a very Merry Christmas. More Christianity explores the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church and comes to you from the WCKI studios in upstate South Carolina. Tune in every week for Father Dwight Longenecker's perspectives on Catholic culture, social issues, saints, converts, and the supernatural aspects of the Catholic faith. For more about Father Longenecker's work, his website is dwightlongenecker.com. Why not connect with Father Longenecker every day through his popular blog, Standing on My Head? Why the weird title? Because G.K. Chesterton said, a scene is most often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. In Standing on My Head, Father Longenecker writes on current issues, blogs about the faith, and entertains with his wacky alter egos, inspiring us to stand firm in our Catholic faith, a faith which stands the world on its head. Do you want simple advice on the practice of your Catholic faith? Why not subscribe to Father Longenecker's free weekly newsletter, Faith Works, with articles on prayer, forgiveness, relationships, and spirituality. Faith Works comes directly to your email inbox. You can subscribe by visiting Father Longenecker's popular blog, Standing on My Head. Just Google search Father Longenecker to visit the blog and look for the sign-up form. More Christianity is also the name of one of Father Longenecker's most popular books, based on the idea that the Catholic faith is more than, not something different from, Protestant evangelicalism. Father Longenecker shows how Catholicism completes and fulfills other expressions of the Christian faith, perfect for evangelical Christians who want to understand the Catholic faith better. More Christianity is available through Father Longenecker's website, dwightlongenecker.com.